right. Peter's, uh, he's getting my attention. He's wondering if anybody needs to borrow a Bible. I'm really hoping that everybody brought their Bibles. But if you guys need to borrow a Bible, they're, they're in the back there. Pete's got, got some there. So you can put your hand up if you need to borrow a Bible. Tomorrow, bring them, though. Bring your, oh, look at this. Oh, I, th- I thought I saw you had your hand up, Lauren. Oh, what a nice guy. Over here. All right. Yes, we are going to get into it tonight. So I'm going to uh, invite Pastor Jeff Geip to come up. Jeff's come from us from uh, Newport, California. So he's flown today. He's taking, yes, give him a hand. He's flown, he's driven in a car, he's went on a boat ride. He went through a lot. So it's my first time in Canada. Oh, there you go. And I was, I was introduced to Poutine. Oh. Poutine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's messing with me already. I, uh, <laughs> so if I fall asleep tonight, uh, you'll forget me. You'll understand why, right? Gravy and cur- cheese curd. What you think and of it? Oh, it's awesome. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, I was surprised that it's fat-free and gluten-free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very healthy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Only if you're Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> we're very happy to have Jeff, and so we appreciate you coming. And, um, yeah, we're excited to hear what God has to say through you. Amen. All right, Thank I'm going to let him go. All right. <laughs> the Sunshine Coast. Man, this place is beautiful. I feel so blessed to be here and so glad to be a part of your weekend. And, uh, man... I guess I just want to start off by asking a question. I guess the question is, how would you describe your Christian life? Would you describe it as being exciting and exhilarating or exasperating and exhausting? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I hope by the end of this weekend, you will see your Christian life as being exciting and exhilarating. Because there is nothing more exciting and exhilarating than living the Christian life. And it's really understanding how to do that. And I'm so thankful that the guys picked Hebrews chapter 10. It happens to be one of my favorite Bible passages. And so I called John and I said, hey, I want to go first. I want to teach that passage. And he said, no, but I'm doing it anyway. So it's good. (laughs) So if you were turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, Uh, To make me feel at home, I'd like you to do just kind of what I do every Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and and I'm going to ask you to stand, and as we read the word of God together, you don't have to read it, we might have a bunch of translations, but you can read along silently. So let's stand as we read the word of God. I'm just going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider one another in order to stir up love in good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Without it, Lord, we'd all be lost. But we're especially thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because we know, Lord, when the, when the word of God and the Holy Spirit collide in our hearts, exciting and exhilarating things happen. And so we just want to start by thanking you for the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. We pray you do a mighty work in our, hands to, in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So I want to go back. I want to go way back to start tonight. I want to go back to the time of creation, just for a few moments. As God spoke the universe into existence, he created the world out of nothing. And after each day that he created something new in the world, he said it and saw that it was good. But on the sixth day, I tried to imagine what this must have looked like. On the sixth day, I can almost see the, the strong right hand of God coming down through the clouds of the heavens and reaching and grabbing dust off the ground, the dust, the dirt of the ground, and then he begins to form mankind in the palm of his hand. And so if you can imagine God's hand, much larger than mine, with the form of a man out of dirt, but it's lifeless. It's just a body. And so God breathed his own breath into the nostrils of man, and he became a living being. I, I've always tried to imagine what Adam's face must have looked like when he saw God like, <gasps> whoa, where did this come from? How did this happen? That first moment. Now, what blows my mind about creation is when God said, that he created mankind in his image and in his likeness. What does that mean? I don't know. No. We are created in his image. We have a body. We have a soul. We have a mind. We have a heart. We're three parts. Just as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three parts but one. So in that sense, we're created in his image. But how are we created in his likeness? There are days that I wake up and I look in the mirror and say, I don't look like God. So how are we created in his likeness? Well, I see three, two things that we're created in his likeness like. And the third thing is the purpose that we're created in his likeness. The first thing is that we were created to be creative. I love this. When you think about all the animal kingdom, would you not say human beings are the most creative? When I think about... Uh, computers or technology today or a medicine when I think about all the things that we have at our fingertips that that man has created because God has created them be, to be creative and so he's given the, the mankind this unique ability not only he has created us to be creative but he created us to be communicative you know if I was a squirrel standing up here moving my mouth, you probably wouldn't understand anything that I was saying, right? Because squirrels don't have the ability to communicate as we do. But we have the ability to communicate. 
God created us to be communicative with him and with one another in a very special and unique way. And I was, I was thinking of uh, the worship tonight and how, uh, is it Morris? Maurice, sorry, I, I forgot, I'm in Canada. Maurice. <laughs> that was bad, huh? <laughs> I think about when he's singing. Here he's been given this wonderful ability to sing songs to what? To bless us. When God created mankind, he spoke blessing upon Adam and Eve. So he's been given us, he's given us this ability to be communicative that we might bless one another. Why did he create us this way, though? Why did he make us creative and communicative? That he might have communion with us. Now, I use the word communion because I'm kind of weird that way. I like everything to sound the same. But the word communion is where we, is the Greek word koinonia. And it's an interesting word because it's used 20 times in the New Testament. And each time it's used, it, it describes another type of action. Of communion. It talks about communion twice, the act of communion, as we partake in that sometimes at church. But it also talks about communication. Four different times it talks about communication. And then two times it talks about contribution. But 11 times the word is translated fellowship. Fellowship. God created you and he created me to be creative and communicative that he might have communion with those whom he has created. Now, I want, I want to leave this picture in your mind as we go through this weekend because we now are the body of Christ. In a sense, we are all resting in the palm of God's right hand. Think about that. Every single one of us, every single one of us in this room that has received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is resting in the palm of God's strong right hand. What that means is not only is he protective of us, he provides for us, and he cares for us, and he loves us with an everlasting love. So the next time you feel like, man, I'm all alone, I feel shame and sorrow and I just feel horrible. Remember that here we are, the body of Christ, sitting, sitting together in the palm of God's right hand. Now, that should bring us great rest, doesn't it? The idea brings me great rest. Then why is it there are times that we're restless? Why do we have these, these times of restlessness? I, I love that. I guess it's a joke about a, a guy, a man wakes up in the morning and he wakes up and he, he's just not feeling good. He looks at his wife and he says, honey, I'm not going to church today. Those people there, they just don't, they don't like me. I don't really like them. You know, I'm just not going. And the wife turns to her husband and says, honey, you have to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> so I'm sure that all of us feel that way at times though, Right? I mean, have you, has anybody else here ever felt like, oh boy, it's Friday night, they're doing that special thing, and I got to go, but, you know, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm just going to go eat worms. Have you ever felt that way? Why is that? Why do we feel that way? One word. It's a little word, big consequence, sin. You see, this is what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve 
in the palm of God's right hand, his protection, his provision, his love, and his care, everything was being provided for them, chose to go against what God wanted them to do. And they experienced shame. And shame separated them from the fellowship of God. And so God loved them so much that he immediately devised a plan to reconcile that relationship with them. We see it in Genesis 3.15 immediately. We see at the end of Genesis 3 that he he covered them even though they were naked. He he covered them. And then, then we see the sacrificial system coming into play and we see the law coming into play. All of these things God did for one reason, that he could continue to have communion with those whom he loves. So when we think about where is God and what part is he in my life, he is calling you and me tonight to draw near to him. And, and he wants, us, wants to bring us to that place. So church is the place that we're to come to have fellowship, to find rest. But how do we deal when things are restless? What do we do? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. I love that Paul, I love when, well, I'm saying Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I think he did. It could have been someone else. But I love what the writer of Hebrews says. This is a new and living way. A new and living way. Why? Because the old way wasn't working anymore. So I want to read verses 19 through 21 just to, to see what was happening, the old and the new way. He says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. So what is the old way? In order to be cleansed from your sin, the one thing that separated you from the communion with Christ, or communion with God, the creator at that time, the one thing that you could do is to go and have on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would offer a sacrifice and he would go through the veil into the Holy of Holies. And so you were at that time re- uh, reconciled to God back into fellowship. That was, the, that was the old way. You had to go through the priest. The new way, because Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, and when he died on the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom opening the way for all of his children to boldly enter into the throne room of God in order to have communion with him. That's the work that Jesus did on the cross. That's the new way, the living way, not the old dead way. And so the writer of Hebrews is bringing that that beautiful picture in there. In John chapter 4, in John chapter 4, verse 23, He's talking to the the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he says, but the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we see this, this new way that we're to worship God that we're to worship him in a way in the spirit and truth. And before his, he's talking about that living water. So when we can boldly enter into the throne room of God, the Holy Spirit is pouring out God's love, the living water into our hearts, 
It's rushing through our hearts. It's cleansing us. It's watching us. It's bringing that place, bringing us into that place of having communion with him. All because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the book of Hebrews tells us that he is our, our, a great priest over the house of God. I love how over the next couple of days I'll be talking about how we are a family, how we're a house, how we're a body, and we're going to be looking at these things because it's all so intimate. That's the beauty about the word koinonia. It's intimate. It's relational. It's fellowship. It's deep. And so in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews says this about our Lord and Savior Jesus. Verses 14 through 16, he says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. I want to read that one more time. Let us there come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So I want, it, I want this to be really clear. <laughs> we are resting in the palm of God's right hand. We've entered in through the throne room. There's nothing separating us from having communion with Christ. And so as we are seated there before him, when we come to him in our times of sin or despair, how does he receive us? With grace. He's not some angry God that's going to turn you over his knee and spank you. Maybe some of you. I don't know any of you well enough to say that's going to happen, but maybe at the end of the weekend I'll, I'll say, yeah, he'd spank you or not spank you. But that's not God. He comes in grace, undeserved favor, because he loves us and cares us so much. Only the death of Jesus Christ on the cross could tear the veil of separation. Only Jesus. Now, I would like us to turn to John chapter 20. I'm glad... Um, you guys have your Bibles because I use my Bible a lot and it's really good that we're turning there. In Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, excuse me, in John chapter 20, Jesus had been raised from the dead. He's in his resurrected body. He appears to his disciples and this is what he says in verse 21. Then Jesus said to them, again, peace to you all. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And listen to this. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, why I wanted to bring this to our attention is the Father did exactly, or excuse me, the Son did exactly what the Father did. Creation, God breathed his own breath into mankind. And when Jesus came that new and living way, he breathed in the Holy Spirit into you and me. I just love how the, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's working all these things out according to his perfect plan and his perfect will. And he wants us to be in that place of fellowship to where we're finding rest and not restlessness. So how do we, how do, we do that? Well, he's going to give us three ways 
in which we can experience this new and living uh, way. We're to draw near, we're to hold fast, and we're to consider one another. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, of course, the first thing you have to ask here is that we're to draw near, but there's a condition. To draw near is an invitation to walk in the presence of God. And the condition is, when we walk in the presence of God, we must do it with a true heart. What is a true heart? A true heart is a sincere heart. It's a genuine heart. It's a heart without hypocrisy. I don't know about you. I'll just, I don't know any of you, and you don't know me, so I can, I can pretty much be open with you, right? There are times that I go to the Lord thinking I'm pretty holy. It's like, yo, God, did you see how good I was today? I mean, did you, did you hear that, those words that I used, you know? And uh, you, sometimes we think, like we're pulling the wool over the Lord's eyes. <laughs> he knows. He sees everything that we say or do. He knows our heart. I love that when Adam and Eve sinned, they went against what God had told them to do. They, they experienced shame, and they're hiding, hiding out in the, in the garden, right? They're hiding from God. And what do they do? They cover themselves in fig leaves. Like, I don't know about you, but it sounds like a good idea. They were creative, right? Hey, look at that fig leaf. That's about the right size. And so they cover themselves. But have you ever felt a fig leaf? Well, of course, you guys are in Canada, right? Yeah, fig leaves. Yeah, they're sticky. They're prickly. So it's a good idea. You just will never be restful. So that's what man does. They have these good ideas that are not restful, but they experience shame and they, and they hid from God. And God's like, where are you guys? As if they didn't, as God didn't know. You know, God knew he was waiting for them to respond. So sometimes we, we think that the Lord doesn't know us or see us, but he knows our hearts. He knows us intimately. So you know what? You know what that means? We can go into the throne room of God totally vulnerable and open and honest and say, Lord, I know you saw what I did today, but I'm confessing it to you, Lord. And you know what he does? He washes and cleanses you and washes, of all, um, washes you from all your unrighteousness through that confession. This is our Lord. So to draw near with a true heart, a sincere heart. In the book of Jeremiah, we learn that Judah had, did not come to God with a sincere heart, but that there would be a day that his people would. And this is what Jeremiah said. I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. This is the new and living way. This is the way in which, by Christ's sacrifice of himself on the cross, has opened that door for you and for me through his blood. To me, it sounds amazing. To the writer of Hebrews, he gives three amazing facts about this, and the first thing is that he, he says we'll have a full assurance of faith. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like I have a lot of faith. What does it mean to have a full assurance of faith? A full assurance of faith is coming to that place to where you're totally emptied of yourself and totally dependent upon him. 
Doesn't that sound great? I mean, we want to be in charge of our lives, just like Adam and Eve were. We want to be those things. But God is saying, no, man, when you draw to me with a true heart, a sincere heart, one without hypocrisy, I'm going to wash you and cleanse you, and I'm going to give you this exciting, exhilarating life because your full dependence is going to be upon me. That's what the full assurance of faith is. We no longer have to depend on ourselves. We only have to depend on the Lord, and that is very freeing. We're relying on the power of God living in us. But he also tells us that we will have a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. Man, I read a lot of things about shame. It's something that really interests me. And statistically, (coughs) the amount of people that suffer with shame in the world today it's just, it's crazy. You know, they, their, their hearts are, they have this evil in their heart and they experience shame. And so what do they, they hide. They're autonomous. They don't come to church. They're afraid to come to church because somebody might blame them or somebody might accuse them or somebody might put them down. And maybe that isn't the case, but that's certainly how they feel. And he's saying, when we draw near with a true heart, we're not going to feel that way. When we draw near with a true heart, we're going to come to church and we're going to like, man, God is so good and, and he loves me so much and, and you're going to converse with one another, you're going to share with one another and you're going to be encouraging one another in a way that you're going to know that your, your, your heart is sprinkled from an evil conscience. It's taken away. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that you are accepted by the beloved. I love that verse. And I always think of the prodigal son. When he came back to the father, did the father say, man, go to the barn. I got a whooping for you. He didn't do that, did he? No, he ran out and he hugged him and he kissed him on the the neck and he gave him jewelry and and a coat and he cared for him. That's our heavenly father. And the last thing he says there is that when we draw near with a true heart, our bodies are washed with pure water. The words pure water refer to the life that has been cleansed and changed from, the, uh, from within. It's something that happens within. It's not an outward thing. It's an inward thing. Paul, writing to Titus, said, the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. So when we draw near with a true heart, we have this full assurance of faith. We have this heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. And we have... Our bodies are being washed with pure water, making us pure and acceptable in the sight of God. When we draw near to Christ is when we have the power, as he goes on here, to hold fast. Look what he says in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the Jewish believers were apparently wavering from their faith. They had started to drift back to the old ways. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding, hey, those old ways, those old dead ways are over. The new and living way is to hold fast. And I love that word, those words, to hold fast. It means to grab a hold and to not let go. So it's interesting. I don't know, I don't know how it is in Canada. Um, But people are people, so it's probably a lot like it is in America. People hope a better government people hope for america to be great again 
People hope for a more prosperous job. People hope for a, a different or a better spouse. You know, people hope for the strangest things, thinking that this is going to bring them happiness. But the writer of Hebrews is like, no, don't hope for those things. Those things will never satisfy. They'll never, they'll never give you rest. They're always going to cause you to be restless. Even saying the word politics makes me restless. Right? He's saying, what does he say to hold on to? Hope. Hold fast on to hope. Hope in what? I hope I win the lottery? No. Hope in Jesus. The whole book of Hebrews talks about holding. In Hebrews chapter 2, I can just read these to you, and if you want to follow along, great. But in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For it was fitting for him for whom all things and by whom all things are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the offer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus, right? In chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Verse 6, but Christ is the son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And then in chapter 9, verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Who is our hope in? It's hope in Christ the one that delivered us from our sins and a, promised us an abundant life, an exhilarating, exciting life, a new and living way. And I love how he ends that verse in verse 23 without wavering. You know, I don't know about you, but human beings waver a lot. Yeah, I'm going to go. Oh, no, I'm not going to go. Yeah, I'm going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, that's what humans do, but Jesus doesn't do that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't waver. So when we hold on to him, we can rest assured that he is faithful. That means that he's faithful even when we're not faithful. He's continually faithful, and he also promises that he will be faithful to complete that work in which he began in you. He loves us so much and he's got us in the palm of his right hand guiding us and directing us, providing for us and loving and caring for us like none other. And we have hope. And so he says, hold fast onto that hope. Now with that in mind, he talks about drawing near with the true heart, holding fast to the hope we have in Christ. And then, and then, and only then, do we have the power to consider one another. Look what he says in verse 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. I love the words stir up. That sounds exciting and exhilarating to me. Stir it up. Let's stir up, you know, you can say stir up trouble or stir up. He says stir up love 
and good works when we come together. Another translation for that is stimulate. And another translation says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Here we are in the palm of God's right hand. Every single one of us in this room. Picture yourself all here gathered together, all cozy and snugly. And he says, when you're gathered together, consider one another. For what? To stir up love and good works. To stir up love and good works. What did Jesus say about love? What is the best way to stir up love? Matthew chapter 22 Jesus says this, and you'll all be familiar with this verse. I was going to do it by memory, but I always say the wrong thing when I do that. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first and great commandment. And this, and the second is like it, just like it, in fact. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. How do you stir up love? Well, we already talked about it. We draw near in loving God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. What does that mean? How do we, how do we love that way? We take every ounce of energy we have, both physically and spiritually, and we love the Lord. We, we come to the end of ourselves, and say, Lord, I need you. I love you. I am so amazed by what you, the work you did on the cross. I'm so amazed that you allow me to come into the throne, your throne room and to offer up everything I have to share with you. And, and you hear me and I'm going to love you, Lord, with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. <coughs> to the Jewish mind, this is huge. This is what they call the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. If, I don't know if you've seen the, the Jewish phylacteries that people, some of the Jews wear. They're uh, um, a leather band that go around the arm and there's a little cap on their forehead. They, they say that the Shema is what's written in the verse in that, in that little cap. And so that's it, to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. They wanted to keep it on the front of their mind so they would never forget it. I love that. Now, we don't have to wear that hat, we can, just, we can just put it into practice and say, God, I'm going to love you this way. Now, what happens? When we love God that way, you know what happens? We start to love others that way. But it's got to start there. Romans 5.5 5 says the Holy Spirit is pouring God's love into our hearts, so we have to be open to it. I love the picture uh, that you can paint in how we receive God's love. I always picture this in my heart as I am standing before the throne of God and I'm, I'm looking up into the heavens and I see a big PVC pipe coming out of heaven down my throat and the Holy Spirit gushing God's love into my heart. Then all of a sudden my body, every extremity just pops out and love comes flowing out. And it's like, oh, this is great. But if you're not looking up into heaven, then it's a self-love. And the self-love loves self. We're to love others as we love self. How does, how does that look? Well, when I get up in the morning and I see my pretty face and I sh shave, 
once a week. <laughs> Brush my teeth, you know, do those things. I care for myself. I love myself. And the writers say, man, consider one another that way. I'm not suggesting you start shaving one another or brushing each other's teeth, but you get the idea. We're to love one another in that way. And Jesus said that this is the greatest commandment. And the second commandment is equal to it or just like it, that we love our neighbors of ourselves. When you're in communion with Christ, you know the last thing you'll be thinking about? yourself. God is totally selfish. Selfless. <laughs> Don't use the wrong word there. <laughs> Lightning comes from heaven. <laughs> he doesn't, he's never considered, I mean, think about the life of Jesus. He's always thinking of others. And so when the writer says here, consider one another to stir up love and good works, what does that look like practically? This past month in my family and in our church has been really, 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 really hard. And uh, so Tuesday night, every Tuesday night for about 14 years, we've been meeting. There's a group of guys from our church. We get together. There's like maybe 10 of us. We get together and we pray every other Tuesday night. Been doing it for, for a long, long, long time. And uh, it's a great group. But because of the things that I was experiencing this last week, I, I get in my car and I'm heading out there. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to go. I just, I got too much on my mind, and I don't, I, don't know the, I don't know that those guys like me that much, and, and I really don't like them that much. And then the Holy Spirit says, yeah, but Jeff, you're the pastor. <laughs> so I went, and, I, and it's true, I love them. <laughs> I was just trying to do a joke. Somebody told me, this guy told me I had to be funny. Am I, am I doing okay? <laughs> so... When I walk into the room, I mean, I'm down. And I didn't want to be that person that walks into a room and, you know, oh. So I walked in, and everybody knew something was up, because apparently I looked like something was up. And we sit down to pray. And they all said, so what's, what's going on with you? And at first, you know, I'm thinking, I'm the pastor. I can't be vulnerable. I can't let these guys know how I'm feeling or why I'm feeling that way. And, and I'm not saying I was, like, <laughs> vomiting on them, but... I just started sharing with them the things that were going on. And you know what happened? Jeff, we love you. We want to, you know, we spent two hours praying for me. I mean, I'm just like, okay, stop praying for me. This is really uncomfortable. But I woke up Wednesday morning, and I'm like, I'm so refreshed. Sure, the problems are still there. But you know who else is there? Jesus. And you know who else is there? My one and others. Don't forsake the gathering of the fellowship. I've been a pastor now for 15 years at our, 14 years at our own church and many years before that at Calvary Costa Mesa. And I see it, it's a problem in the church today. There's a lack of true fellowship. There's a lack of true caring. It, you know, we come together on Sunday mornings and we talk about the hockey game the night before. In California, it's baseball. You know, we, we talk about how good the donuts are. Or we talk about these things, but are we, are we coming in vulnerable and caring? The church is for that. That's why we're here. We come 
Now, look how he ends it here. Back in Hebrews. And I think this is, I'd be remiss in not reminding us of what the writer says here. Exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. People, you guys like prophecy, right? We all like prophecy. If you know prophecy, you would, you would look at the world today and say, well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But what else needs to happen for Jesus' return? I mean, the day, uh, the day of Jesus' return is, is approaching. Now, people have been saying that for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. I'm sure the disciples and the apostles are saying, yeah, Jesus is coming. Every generation, right? And we should have that. We should be holding fast to that hope. But as you look through prophecy and you th- see the things that are going on in the world, there's really only one thing that needs to happen, and that is for that last stinking Gentile to receive the Lord. If you're here tonight... Just, I mean, how cool would that be if there was somebody here tonight that didn't know Jesus and they said, yeah, I'm going to receive Jesus and poof, we're all raptured. (laughs) Oh, gosh, this is great. Hold on, let me think about this for a minute. Yeah. (laughs) You guys, today is the day. I know that we're saved. It's not only the day of the day of salvation, but salvation also means our daily lives. We are being saved. We're being renewed every day by the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants, to have, he wants us to have this exhilarating, exciting relationship with him, this communion with him that you can have with no one else and with one another. He wants us to be open and vulnerable. He wants us to draw near with a true heart. He wants us to hold fast to that confession of hope that when we consider one another to stir up love in good works, It's effective. And that's what he desires for each and every one of us. So, as the new guy, and the guy that you may or may never see again, I want to challenge you to something. I'd really like to challenge you in your churches to be that guy, to be that gal that goes up to someone and says, you know, can I just pray for you? Just, can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Do you know how effective that is? You don't have to know the dirty details. You don't have to get into all this stuff. Just, how can I pray for you? What's going on? Because prayer is the one thing that connects us to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and to one another. That's how we communicate that. That's why God gave us the ability to communicate that our prayers would be thrown up into the throne room of God and the Holy Spirit would be our intercessor, taking those prayers that are God's will and bringing them to the Father and then Him relaying that back to us through the work of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of healing, for the purpose of rest, for the purpose of extending God's kingdom. There's so many things that can go on when we think about stirring up love and good works. So what I want to do tonight, if it's okay, it's just maybe we can just pray for one another. Would you guys be into that? Yeah? 
So why don't we just take like five minutes and maybe um, Maurice can come back up and... <laughs> what? Are Marlis. Marios. Marios. Gosh, I was. I've never heard that name before. That's why I couldn't say it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So, let's let's just do that. Why don't you just turn? Maybe just to turn to one another, if you know each other, if you don't know each other, and just, just take like three or four minutes and ask each other how you're doing and just pray for one another. And uh, let's do that. And as you work that out, let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, and I thank you for this church body, Lord. And I just pray right now, Lord, that as they just pray with one another, that your spirit would move mightily, that, God, you would move in our hearts and our minds, that you would bless us, that you would guide us, and you would direct us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and just pray for a minute. That's good. <laughs> I got it lost. Well, I lost you all when I mispronounced his name. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't recognize it. Where are you from? 